from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things that made us go wow. Wow. This past week, here is Tom Campbell and James St. James. Well, let's get into the countdown. Number 10, Tom. Number 10. I um, just binged The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season four. Are you guys fans? Have you watched any of them? I made the mis- I tried, and then I st- I thought I was watching episode one, season one, but I actually started episode three, season I I like episode seven on season three, and I had no idea what was going on. And I thought this show's stupid, and I didn't watch it. I am um, that would, as a no. I'm gonna take that as a no, James. Right. Spencer, yes. I watched the first couple of episodes, and it it just it didn't didn't bring my it didn't do it for me. And but this is the final season, is that right, Tom? No, they they announced the final season, which will be the fifth. This okay. is the fourth season. Um, listen, Amy Palladino, uh, Sherman Palladino, and her husband. I love this show. It is deeply flawed. It doesn't live in a place of reality, and I love it. Um, and there's it's it's my little. It's kind of not the only thing I'm watching Amazon, but it's the thing that makes me go to Amazon. Um, Again, I love to hate it, and I hate to love it. All those good things. Because, well, go ahead. I, I, uh, because Amy Sherman Palladino is someone that everybody loves to hate. And like Gilmore Girls, to me, is that thing that I will I will marathon, I will binge it, I will watch yes. it, and I will hate it, but I will love every second of it. But there, there's some deep enthusiasm that comes yes. through her stories. There's yes, some she, has, she has a way of, of patter that she yes, does. And, and what wonderful. she chooses to focus on, you know, in past seasons, they spent an episode or two in, at uh, in the Catskills. You know, and they kind of showed the Jewish culture and that, you know, it's, it's set in the 60s. So just in, in, in incredible detail and sets and 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 a celebration of, of a lifestyle that we don't see very well represented. For this season, um, there's all these like sort of stakes where they're losing money. They don't have money, but they all live opulently, which I kind of like. And they all have incredible clothes. You know, Mrs. Maisel has a different outfit for every occasion with the matching hat. But she um, she decides she's 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 going to, um, uh, to just do it her way. She's going to break the rules and she's not going to open for anybody. So she ends up working at a burlesque club, which is the most idealized burlesque club because she not only works the burlesque club, she cleans it up. She doesn't quite unionize <laughs> it. Like you know, everybody gets better at what they do. As a result, there are some incredible burlesque artists featured in the show doing incredible burlesque acts that don't really make sense, that, that, that push credibility. But I'm watching great burlesque acts in the middle of this whole thing. She ends up being the MC. She um, comes together again with um, Lenny Bruce. Mm-hmm. They actually connect in a very meaningful way. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy. There is one storyline where the season before she was opening for kind of a Sam Cook kind of a performer. And she uh, was did some jokes and she, she sort of found out that he's a closeted homosexual. And on mic at an event, she kind of made jokes about it. And so he, at the end of last season, he dropped her ceremon- unceremoniously at the airport, like humiliated her. So this episode starts with her being angry at him. But I'm just thinking, shouldn't he be angry at her for outing him 
in that time. So anyway, they, they, they he that shy the shy character comes back. I'm doing a horrible summary, but I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I watched all of them. I love to hate it. I love the enthusiasm. I love I love uh, the references. Uh, the marvelous Mrs. Mabel. Awesome. Um, and wait, wait, wait. Where is it on? Is it on Amazon? Amazon Prime. It's Amazon Prime. Right. All right. Okay. Number nine, James. Number nine. Number nine. I am so glad you are with us, Fenton. I was afraid you were going to miss it because I needed to talk about the Andy Warhol Diaries, <laughs> Brian Murphy's Opus Andy Warhol on Netflix. I watched it. Did you watch it? Have you seen it? I have not watched it. Um, okay. I want to. I want to flash back to a line from Tom a couple of weeks ago. I don't care. Well, I no, was going to tell not Tom. True. I, I was going to say, can't... Tom, just put your earbuds on and listen to some Ariana Grande because you are good. You're going to be bored out of your mind for this. I, but I, I actually care profoundly, but I'm also that jealous bitch. So um, I, no, I haven't watched it yet. So no. you are going to watch it, Fenton. You are going to watch it, and you're going to have. You're going to call me every ten minutes because <laughs> there are things to talk about in it. Tell us. Um, tell us. What do you think? I need to just start off by saying that the AI, which I was dubious about, it works. It is so fascinating to listen because it's actually his voice. You know, it is him talking, but there is no inflection. And he, it is, I went to Paulette Goddard's house. She showed me her new diamonds. They are spectacular, which is how you imagine that Andy talks anyway. And you've got to think that he's going, he would love this looking down from heaven. It's really, it's, it's such an interesting choice. And you know that it's just going to get better as, as the technology gets better. And it's going to be sort of the new norm is what I think. That it's actually good in a sort of beta version of not perfect technology, you it, it like is. the flat it is. effect. It wouldn't work for me, but it works oh, for Andy. Of course, you know? of course. Because, because in your mind, you want to believe that that's how Andy talks. But that, now that you say that, I think someone should go back through all these Radio Andy shows, sample James's words, and string <laughs> them together in new sentences. Just have a James bot. A James, James does James Shakespeare. Bot. James does Hamlet. Because <laughs> I, I know it won't be monotone. It would just be wild <laughs> and fabulous. Um, you know, it's six episodes. It could have been two. They pad a lot. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But it's more, it's not, the, the diaries sort of seem incidental. It's, it's the story of Andy's love life. And the first two episodes are Jed Johnson, his his love of, great love affair with Jed Johnson. The second two are John Gould, which I want to know, Tom, if you remember John Gould at all from Paramount. I met John Gould. My my first lover, Tom Perry, was friends with John Gould because they both yeah. worked at Paramount at the same time. And I believe John Gould was with Andy. Uh, and I was in John Gould's. I stayed in John Gould's apartment, but I never met Andy. But um, yeah, they were together for many years, but John was in the closet and it was a very tortured relationship for him. Um, and the last two episodes are about Basquiat. But I the the real the, the story to me is this the, is Jed Johnson. He and his brother, Jay, the tw twin brothers. Jed started off as um, he was a mail courier and he delivered a letter to the factory and everybody fell in love with him and made him quit on the spot and start working at the factory. And he was he was a custodian. He was the janitor. He was doing, you know, cleaning the floors. And then he started editing. And then when Andy was shot, he moved into Andy's house to take care of him and never left. They just ended up being together for the next eight years. And he ended up directing bad. And then he goes on to become uh, an interior designer. 
And this kid with no experience whatsoever does Andy's townhouse. And it's such a success that Yves Saint Laurent, Carl Lagerfeld, Mick Jagger, everybody is, ha- you know, Princess Margaret. I mean, everybody is having him. All these society women have him and his taste is just spectacular. And he is the most heart-stoppingly beautiful boy ever i mean literally you see pictures and you gasp and apparently by all accounts he is just this quiet soft-spoken beautifully articulate one big-hearted person and what happens is andy he comes across a stash of polaroids of cocks that andy has taken at the factory when andy's doing his is you know torso, the torso series yeah yeah, the torso series, but they're a little more than just. It's not just art. You can see that there's the that Andy and uh, uh, who's the Vito Hugo, Victor Hugo, are, are 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 being a little naughty, and that's what breaks them up. And it's just, it's really, it's. I want, and I think I mentioned to you, Fenton. I want a a J J and Jed Johnson documentary. What? Right, right, because didn't he die in the TWA 800? Uh, yes, off the coast of Long Island. He yeah. was in, in that. And it's a shame because his, his career was just skyrocketing. And mm. he was just, um, well, you of know. Course. I mean, he designed that Andy Warhol townhouse. It's just spectacular and, and gorgeous. When you see the glimpses inside, it is utterly, it's just it, the taste. In, and when you see Lagerfeld's apartment, and when you see Mick Jack, I mean, yeah. like, it's and just... Because- Oh, because because he's Andy Warhol's boyfriend, so only the best people are going to want you to design their yes. interiors. It's yeah. like and even after the, the breakup with Andy, he still just right. goes hot. And then after he dies, his brother Jay, who I'm sort of friends with on Instagram, and is just a wonderful, wonderful Trey Spiegel is very good friends with him, and he's just and he's in the documentary. He's just absolutely wonderful. Very quickly, then John Gould, but the Basquiat stuff is very interesting. Because he's gayer than I remember. You, I, you do get gay vibes off of him. I, obviously bisexual. Oh, please. Come on. And Tell he me. talks about, uh, he's very, they're very flirty with each other. It's not just a one-way street. No, they are I very, very think, flirty. I know everyone says it was a platonic relationship and he was a father figure. I think they fucked. I, there's rumors. I, I don't like, know they, if they fucked only because... He was a heroin addict, and I don't think that he was having sex by that point. I think I, that I you I, don't you, you get it out and you try and get it hard and it's just not working and it's just you get I, I mean, gets that doesn't, okay okay I'm not but I do but but he does talk about in his earlier days when he was hustling and he would have to do ten dollar blowjobs and I think that that sort of fucked with him a little bit too but you can definitely see that there's more to the relationship than just mentor mentee that there is actual affection there i think we're going to be talking about um the andy warhol diaries many times um, yeah and it, it, it is you know it's it's a documentary series and um i think there's a lot to unpack there and I just, um all right let's go on to number eight number eight Look, I don't really want to change the tone. I don't want to bring anybody down, but I want to do a rest in perfection. And I want to do it for my dad, who passed away a week ago. Um, He was 98. Um, And the reason, you know, I don't want this to be a sad moment because the last three years of his life weren't great. He was bedridden. He couldn't really speak. So I really honestly feel it was something of a release, you know, and, and feel something of, of a relief. But I've been thinking about him, obviously. And um, he was he was born in 1924. So he was born four years before Warhol. And um, 
the thing about him is, and I, I really didn't realize this for the longest time, is I, I had a slightly complicated relationship with my dad. And I guess, you know, when you have a problematic relationship with a parent, you always think it's you. It's your fault, right? The, you know. Um, but really, it, it wasn't. I, I, don't, I don't believe. Um, my dad was, he joined the Navy in World War II. He was underage. He was like, he wasn't 18. He joined the Navy and he went off on the um, Atlantic, the North Atlantic convoys, the Russian convoys. And I, I don't know if you know what they are. I, did, I certainly didn't know. But the, the Russian convoys, British ships went off to send supplies, and this is sort of relevant, to Russia to help Russia in the fight against Hitler. And these ships in the North Atlantic, I mean, the water, you get in that water and you're dead in seconds. The ships get covered in ice, so much ice that they could just tip over. It was incredibly dangerous. Oh, plus they were sitting ducks for, for the U for, for the U-boats, the German U-boats. So, you know, and, and I remember as a, a little boy uh, asking my and this is where it sort of really got me. I was asking, I used to ask my dad about the war. You know, you're six, you're a kid. That's you know, you want to hear war stories, right? And my dad would never talk about it. He never wanted to talk about it. And he'd say the odd thing, but would really avoid the subject. Now, look, I was six. So that meant that World War II was only about 20 years away. It only happened 20 years ago, which if you're six, that seems like another right. age. But now, being somewhat older than six, being 60, you realize that 20 years is not very long. It's like 2022 now, 20 years is 2000. So the war for him was incredibly fresh and it was I don't know. I've I've often had this problem of understanding history as something that actually happened, as opposed to something that's just remote, locked off in the past. So that's my dad. But it happened, and he was still at such a formative young age yes. for something that traumatic to happen. Yes. I can totally see where that would just it changes your worldview. It changes. I think who it, you are. I think it profoundly changed yeah. him, and I think yeah. actually it was post-traumatic stress. I think that's what he had. And I, that I, explains I think that whole generation had it. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to talk about him today. Uh, for one reason why. Because you know, with this war in the Ukraine that's going on, war is an incredibly traumatic thing. And it's I, I don't want to minimalize or trivialize the people who are wounded or die or serve in a war, but its effects linger for generations. And it's a profoundly destructive, tragic thing. So I, I think it's terrible that this war is happening and I, I you know looking at my dad he was you know in a very quiet unassuming way he was a war hero and uh that he did all that to help Russia who are being you know so ridiculous at this point in history is just sort of profoundly moving my dad didn't um sadly you know he you know he got COVID he was in a home COVID got into home. It's highly infectious at this stage, not so much lethal if you're injected and what have you and vaccinated. But then it became pneumonia and, you know, um, I got the call. But um, he didn't have any I, I last didn't. words, but he always told me, he just said, just just try to do your best. And I think that's, that's great advice. And um, yeah. I, I do always, you know, I remember when my friend Anne lost her mother and she was in her 50s. And she said, you know, no matter how old you are, 
you you're, you're still an orphan. You still sort of feel like an orphan. There's a feeling that like that that right. a part of you your lost life, your mom, and now you've lost your dad. I've lost both my parents, and yeah. that the orphan thing is very real. Yeah, well, it it is real. And yet, my I asked my dad once. I said to him, um, you know, how does it feel when your parents have gone? And he said, it was freeing. Yeah, I've heard and that. I've heard that have, very much. That a lot of people don't really become themselves yeah. until after that that is gone. That so, feeling, you know. And I, I just think it's you know. I have to say, I just think it's worth remembering what he did in the war and, and what so many of his generation did in the Second World War. Because this, we wouldn't be doing this, you know. So so much of of, of what we enjoy that we take for granted, not in a negative way. We take it for granted, and and I think. They would all want us to take it for granted, but we do owe it to them. And yes. I do think it, as you say, Jones, it profoundly changed him mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think he ever completely recovered from it, you know? I never I met your a- dad, Fenton, and I said this yeah. too personally, but I love you deeply, and I love the man that made you and that huh. raised you. That um, is, a, thank you. I, I sometimes feel, you know, um, unworthy in the sense that, like, you know, just to face that kind of terror, you know, like I, you wouldn't get me on a boat in the North Atlantic covered with ice with U boats out. I, I just, I just can't imagine it. So, um, but rest in perfection, Dad, and you know, it's a happy moment. It really is, you know, bittersweet, but but fundamentally a happy moment. Um, Blake, do you have a question? I do. Um, what rapper just revealed on Twitter that they are a big fan of early aughts emo band? My Chemical Romance. They tweeted, they don't make music like this anymore. All right. Name that rapper after the break. You're listening to Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. You had a question for us. Yeah, what rapper just revealed on Twitter that they are a big fan of early aughts emo band, My Chemical Romance, tweeting, they don't make music like this anymore. Lil Nas X. Close, no cigar. Uh, Queen Ludacris. No and no. Cardi B. I was going to say Cardi. Yeah, so that makes total sense. Who knew? We're the total rap star demo. Thanks for that question. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I was going to call her a diva and then a rap songstress, but that would have been too easy. So (laughs) we are counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. Can't get enough of my Lucy, Lucy and Desi. I was over on Amazon, you know, seeing the the Marvelous Mrs. Mabel and they kept popping up that I should see the Lucy and Desi documentary done by Amy Poehler um, with uh, total permission and, and cooperation with Lucy uh, Arnaz, who is in Palm Springs, 70 years young, and, you know, and, and sort of the keeper of all the archive. You may, you know, during the making of this documentary is when um, Lucy Arnaz found the radio show that, that Lucy did in 64, which I'm still obsessed with and learned so much to me. Um, talking with Lucy or something, this thing, that's still the best thing I've seen or heard because it's Lucy talking with people and you get a total sense of her style and her morals and, and she was on top of the world anyway. And um, 
So this documentary, I can't say it told me anything I don't already know. <laughs> but you are um, an expert. So I am an expert. And and Lucy Arnaz did an amazing documentary probably 20 years ago or more on CBS, where she showed home films for the first time and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's um it's 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 glossy, it's rich with photos, it um it tells their story, which if you don't know it, you should know it. And 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 it reminds me once again, because I don't really watch TV on the weekends like I used to. I Love Lucy is just the funniest fucking show. And there's so many moments that just blow your head, you know, your mind. It reminds you of that. What's interesting to me, and I don't care, I just noticed, you know, a big part of their relationship and the, and the, the solution of the relationship was Desi's cheating. And at best, it intimates it. It doesn't, it just doesn't go, and and I don't want to air dirty laundry, but it was, it was, a little glossified that way. It's an Imagine a documentary, which I know you've worked with the gentleman at uh, Imagine. Yeah. And it's obviously a labor of love from Amy Poehler. It's lovely. And, uh, and, uh, and there you have it. I, okay. I, I, you know, if you, if you, if you haven't, I, I couldn't get through, I'm awful. I could not get through the, um, the movie because I am so deeply entrenched in the real deal. So this is, if you're looking for more stuff to um, sort of, uh, I- Fix, fix you for your Lucy uh, cravings. Go there. I, I love you as our Lucy expert. And I just love the fact that these days you can get a podcast, you can get a documentary, you can get yeah. a feature, you can get, you can get your fix in all these different versions, you know, and they're Absolutely. all relevant, right? They all and have I a did love that the podcast on Turner Classic Movies about Lucy is excellent and worth seeing. And I will watch the movie at some point. I don't, you know, Sometimes I loved I'm, it. I loved the movie. Not as much as I loved the eyes of Tammy Faye, though, because as we know, Nicole Kidman is in competition with uh, Jessica Chastain for the best actress in the Oscar race. We but, talked about that last week, and we're we're feeling good for uh, we're feeling good for Jessica. Doing yeah. good vibes. Well, you know, I gotta say that I'm a here's Lucy woman all the way. I I I, I that is to me the height of Lucy. I could watch here's Lucy. That was your third series. It was uh-huh. on in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh-huh. It started off with the opening sequence was her as a marionette. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's, and it's Elizabeth Taylor. It is Ann yeah. Miller. It is Joan Crawford. Every episode, some Hollywood superstar wanders yes. into her. her, her and that's where Lucy and Desi, just Lucy Arnaz and Desi Jr. play a big part in that too. Yeah. Was... The, the, the Ann Margaret episode where, where um, Ann Margaret duets with uh, her son. Is probably yeah. my favorite episode of, moment of any television show ever. Yeah, and just just the fact that Lucy was as big as she was for like three decades. Yeah, and was 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 revered by everyone and ran a studio. That story is just an amazing story. So yeah, I just and she, there would be no Star Trek without her either. Right, yeah. amazing. Is is um is the documentary nominated on the shortlist for the Academy Awards? I don't or not. Know. I don't think so, look no. Oh, okay. Didn't make sure. I wonder if it came out in time. Anyway, I, I think it did. Yeah. No, it's definitely on the. You know, in the in competition. But I don't know if it made. Also, I mean, she was so beautiful. You know, before you know the whole life she led before the TV show started. Before just the most beautiful yeah. woman, and just how Hollywood worked. And anyway, it's I, I love I love Lucy and Desi. Love- <laughs> All right, let's move on. Number six. Well, I wanted to do Arrest in Power as well, Arrest in Perfection, because we lost somebody this week that was just, uh, it, it was a hard one. It was a hard one to lose. When I got the news, it it, it stopped me in my tracks. Um, Annie Flanders, who was 
the empress of Manhattan. She was the doyen of downtown. You would not have a downtown culture without Annie Flanders. She was the woman most famous who um, she was editor in chief and the creator of the Soho Weekly News in the 70s and then details in the 1980s. And if you don't remember details, the original details, not the menswear magazine it became after Condé Nast bought it. But in the 1980s, it was the downtown Bible for alternate fashion, street fashion, for the emerging art scene, and for nightclubbing. And there was Stephen Sabin's nightlife column. And if he mentioned you, you had made it. And Annie was... Without a doubt, she she started, she helped so many careers on, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I keep seeing people saying, I would not have a career without Annie mm-hmm. Flanders. And, you know, certainly she discovered Bill Cunningham. Hal Rubenstein started as a, as a food editor there. Michael Musto, Patrick McMullen, so many people. I think um, Kelly Cutrone maybe was one of those people who got her start there. So, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And Interestingly, she had such a life before all of this. She uh, had a store on the Upper East Side in the 1960s called Abracadabra that was one of the first stores to carry street fashion and all the avant-garde designers who could not get into Bloomingdale's or Macy's or Gimbel's. She also worked at Gimbel's for many years. She was a style supervisor, whatever. But so she opened the store. And in conjunction with that, she was in Africa she had a leather factory that she worked with King, um, the King of Mechel, 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 Mechele, something. I don't know. Some, some African nation that I don't think is there anymore. That She worked closely with the King and to make leather goods, leather handbags and leather pants and leather fashion and everything. But I remember one night I was with her at Spotlight and she has these, she would tell these stories that were just so jaw dropping. Like you could, and it did just very casually out of her mouth. She was talking about how she was staying at the palace of Halle Selassie, Emperor Halle Selassie of uh, Ethiopia, who was the, the, king, the lion king of Africa is he was what he was referred to. And it was, there was a, during an uprising and the castle was being stormed. The palace was being stormed and she had, they had to light torches and go through underground pat secret underground passageways to escape the murderous mob she and the emperor were running through these underground passages with torches trying to get out of the palace while there was a like you know thousands of people climbing the walls of the palace to get them and she just barely made it out with her lives and she just had these stories about her life that was just it's she was just an amazing amazing woman and she too, her last couple of years, she was, um, she had dementia and she was, uh, you know, she couldn't move and she she wasn't speaking. And so that's it, the saddest again, thing, you know. Yeah, it's just not the way you want to go. Really. No, and once a- again, you know, so it it is a relief. It was it was a release, and it you know, it, but she is so beloved, and it is so it was just with a heavy heart that you know. That we lost one of the greats, and it's funny she was an influencer before influencing, right? Like very much so. And it's funny because I was just in the um the edit bay with Blake, and we were going through some of the podcasts, and Michael Schmidt is talking about how she plucked him out of obscurity and made you know put his his first dress he ever made on the cover of Details, and Cher got that saw that, and you know like I mean like everything she did, she just helped so many people over the years. No. 
Rest in perfection, Annie Flanders. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, so uh, number 10, uh, what number are we at? So, <laughs> five. Number five. Is it really? Have we got to number five already? Number five. Um, so, uh, yes, I was in France. I, I Tom, I saw you in, in London. And then I went off to Paris. Very exciting because they are shooting Drag Race France. First um, season. First season. And actually, that's where I was when I got the news about my dad. And, you know, I, there was actually no better place to be. You know, it was like on the, just sort of surrounded by the sort of the vibe of the chosen family, you know, and just seeing these beautiful creatures, these amazing creatures, these funny, I mean, I was sitting in the control room that speaking French. I know a bit of French, but not that much. But I didn't, even though I couldn't basically understand a word, um, I just, uh, you could just feel the love and the, the, the way the Queens interacted with each other with such sort of love and support was just an amazing. So I was really happy to be there. They speak the international language of drag, Benson. They do. They do. And but the funny thing is, the temptation um, often for the queens is to not lapse into English, but to you know throw in Americanisms or. And they're like the French, being the French, they're like absolutely no. In French, they stop, they back up, they translate into French. If you can't translate into French, you don't say it. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. So I, I know that don't fuck it up is ne de pas. Um, so, but you know, <laughs> some of the lines don't always translate, but, um, Nikki doll is, um, one of the hosts and, um, oh my God, I just, I, I don't know, like so beautiful, so beautiful. And, you know, Nikki doll does girl drag and boy drag and her Tom of Finland boy drag. I was like, I didn't know where to look. I was like, <laughs> this is too much. It was almost like a Pierre and Gilles came to life. And she's so funny and engaging and natural. I was I was like, oh, my God. I was like. Off, you know. Outside of her season, I had the opportunity to, to work with and to be with Nikki Dahl for one afternoon when Rue was hosting Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. um, and there was that sketch where Pete Davidson played Chad. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and, and you know, we, we were working very quickly and we were in the city and we decided to do it. And Nikki Dahl called her up. She said, I'd love to do it. And we got to spend a day with her. And she's such a wonderful person, which we knew from the series. But I got to spend some extra different kind of time with with her. I and, just um, so gracious. Right. And just yes. uh, and, and a great drag queen. And it, it just goes to show you with drag race. We pride ourselves that winning is great. It's a competition that keeps you watching, but it's really about a platform for these queens and you can do whatever you want with it. You know, you know, I know there's a lot of luck and hard work involved in it, but like, I'm so glad that someone, Nikki, who didn't necessarily rank way up there in terms of lasting competition has found this perfect place for her to, to just, to, to, to thrive. Absolutely. Um, is there a second, James, are you, for your, are you talking about the Balenciaga show? No. Oh, did you talk about it last week? No. Oh, well, the other thing that happened while I was in Paris, just quickly, was the Balenciaga fashion show that took place in a wind tunnel in a snowstorm. And I, I have to say, it really stuck with me. I Wait, you went? You were invited to Balenciaga? No, darling. Oh. I just watched the clip on YouTube. <laughs> no, I wasn't invited. Of course, I wasn't invited. Um, but I was... I was just so taken by it. I mean, I, some, I, 
I, you wouldn't, I'd never really want to go to a fashion show, to be quite honest. I'd sooner watch them on, on video. But I just felt there was something so sort of poignant about it. And I, I wasn't necessarily, I was even sort of grudgingly in admiration of <laughs> Kim Kardashian wrapped up in Balenciaga tape. I, I love I, that I, so much. I, we, we, did, we needed to talk about, because I could go on about that for an hour and a half. How right. did she pee? How, does she have catheters under the tape? What goes on? How and it just look- was tape. It was just, and but I also love the the bleakness of it, and I love the fact that it was the whole show really was a sort of it was um a pageant or a mask in in protest of the of the war in Ukraine. I, I just well, thought no, but, some, but that is sort of what we're going to be talking about in a minute. Oh, I, I so, thought it was okay. some kind of genius. I really did, and I I've, I I suppose in a way I've been thinking a lot about these things. But I think that masks and pageantry, which you know, drag race is such a part of, but I think that they. It's a medium in which you can say things. And I just, no, of course, I'm not going to go out to Balenciaga and buy some rolls of tape and dress myself up like that. It, as a fashion directive in terms of what you wear, no. But as a sort of statement or a piece of art, I was really, I found myself thinking about it. Even though the boots were just so absurd, these boots <laughs> were like these giant thigh-high boots that just go open at the at the top. And it's like you're never going to wear those boots in your life. Oh, oh and I the other thing, was, the other thing was that they were carrying as they were like going through the snow and the mist, and you couldn't see a thing. They were carrying a plastic bag, which was ridiculous, right? Because fashion's all about bags and 10,000, 20, 30, 40,000 bags, and they're carrying hefty bags. But those hefty bags were made out of leather. And yet it also spoke about, ref- it also sort of caught, brought up refugees and you're fleeing with your possessions. It was all wrong and it was all right. Re- I don't know. Let's go to the break because James will return to this later in the show. Blake, do you have a question for us? I sure do. Um, so the season two premiere of The Weakest Link just premiered this week. And I love years, that. 23 years after it ended? It's a reboot, James. It's Welcome back. to Hollywood. And just hosting. Welcome to Hollywood. Um, (laughs) so one of the questions I thought this was crazy who coined the term EGOT for multi-award winning entertainers oh I think I know this I could have sworn it was James St. James but we'll have the answer for you right after the break you're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report things that make us go wow Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. And we have a question. Yeah, I just asked, who coined the term EGOT for multi-award winning entertainers? Wasn't it on 30 Rock and it was, who's McCallit, um, who first did it? What's his name? The, uh, the comedian. Well, EGOT's been around for way longer than 30, Rob. Are you sure? Was you it Whoopi Goldberg? The weakest link. You are the weakest link, James. <laughs> was it Whoopi? No. I'm going to say it was Rita Moreno. No. You Liza go. Minnelli. Liza Minnelli. No, it was um, actor Philip Michael Thompson from Miami Vice. Oh, I what? remember this. Yes. Because he what? said he wanted an EGOT. Yes. I remember the interview. Yeah, I was like, he's the one that came up with EGOT. Everyone talks about EGOT. And I was like, I figured some like journalist came up with it. No, 
It was uh, Philip Michael Thomas from. In fact, he, he he was one of the first people. He had a, a gold plated egot chain, and everyone would say, "What does that mean?" And he'd say, "That's what I'm going to get. I'm going to be an egot." Well, I mean, that's like more of a legacy than his career ever ended up being, right? Well, how dare you? Right, Miami not- lives on forever. It's not over yet. <laughs> Let's move on, counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four. Number four. I've been very busy. I've been in production, so I can only just read headlines of, of my social media. But one really caught my attention. I don't know if you guys have dug any deeper. But there is, from Madonna's biopic, autobiopic, there is actresses who are in a Madonna boot camp trying to be Madonna in front of Madonna to be in the Madonna movie. Does what what's this movie gonna be like, you guys? That should be the movie. I hope they're filming that. Well, I do want to just say, ask you if you remember, Fenton, that we had a show that I had come up with that we tried to do, and it was about we wanted to have um impersonators, celebrity impersonators battle it out in a house to see who was the best Dolly Parton and they look would, like hotel. Yes, yes, look like hotel. It happened years before me, but it's still talked about. I've seen the tape. It is the it's the most legendary development at World of Wonder. I because we had Dolly Parton and we put them in sack races so that their fake boobs would bounce. <laughs> but then I remember it was like we were it was battle to see who and I can't imagine doing that in front of Madonna. It must be so nerve wracking. You know, um, for Hairspray, the musical, I know they have, like, it was, it was, it's still popular, but it was so popular that they had, like, a Tracy Turnblad camp. I knew about that. Like, there was, like, you know, plus-size girls, like, doing the, you know, the cha-cha and things like that. But Madonna and doing it in front of her. How can, James, we need to talk offline, because I feel like there is a new lookalike hotel in this. (laughs) We should bring the lookalike hotel back. But, (laughs) um... I can tell you that, uh, do you remember that amazing live Instagram um, that Madonna did with Diablo Cody, where oh, she was right. writing the script mm-hmm. that I was so compelled by, I had it transcribed. Well, Diablo Cody is no longer working on the project. She was ceremoniously yeah. dismissed. And she, uh, she reached out to some other people who we know who they are. Um, oh, Madonna reached out. Yeah, yes, when Madonna calls, um, uh, Los Javis, the two Javiers who are two of the judges on Drag Race oh, España. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they waved the script in front of me. I was not allowed to take it. I was like, <laughs> what did it smell like? <laughs> it was just like it could have. I was just like, oh my god, like I want you know. Well, it's funny because some of the actresses' names that they keep tossing out who are going to play her, you keep thinking, how on earth? Like Anya Taylor, what's her name? Um, she might be a good one. There's, I mean, there are a couple people that, that, that can do it. I'm just, I'm fascinated to see how it's all going to shake out. Has anyone in your, in your mind, has anyone produced a movie about themselves? That's been any good, right? <laughs> I didn't go there. 
no, 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 but it's true because it's, it's like if you you sort of have to give up control because if you're too controlling, it's like I didn't wear the skirt wasn't five inches, right. it was six inches, and it the plaid was red and not blue, and you're gonna get too lost in the detail. But I think if you watch the Diablo Cody Madonna thing, I think you might get a hint or two that the problem there is gonna be a dramatic arc. I think she's going to be perfect and fully formed from the moment she appears in the movie until the end of it. And nothing will really change. She's just going to be bossing people around the entire time. Oh, my God. A James St. James boot camp. People <laughs> who are trying to be James St. James. In front of James James battle James. Queens. Oh, my God. Sitting around. <laughs> I'm going to be rich. Rich, 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 I tell you. Should it be a musical? Of course, it's Please. a musical. I'll tin pin alley 20s songs. I cannot wait to see this ukulele movie. 30s music. That's a good idea. I love that. <laughs> um, through the tulips. I think we can safely say it doesn't really matter what the movie is, people will flock to it, right? We will be there Thursday at 11.59 for the midnight screening. And we'll Friday there. and Saturday and every... All right, let's move on to number three. Number three. Number three is my new recurring segment, which you, which we, I began last week. It's Moral Dilemmas with James St. James. Who, and better, so who better to answer our moral dilemmas than James St. James? Well, as I said last week, I'm glad that Fenton is here this week because Fenton and Tom are at opposite ends of the moral spectrum. And that Tom is uh, has a very strict sense of ethics that he follows. He's very moral, and he but he's non-judgmental, which is a, a tribute to his character. He's moral without being judgmental. Fenton, on the other hand, is a very perky anarchist who is a bit of a nihilist and has a very laissez-faire attitude when it comes to morals and things. So, how having, how having said you? No, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. You, you, you are very loosey-goosey when it comes to uh, how to I predicted last week when he said the same thing, Fenton, that if you, when you heard the show, he'd be fired. It was, it was, it was, it was James St. James' last appearance, but uh, clearly you, you missed this broadcast. But anyway, so I wanted to, to talk a little bit about something that I've been seeing happening, especially on social media, and it's start, it's, it has to do with Ukraine. And the last when it first started happening, it was t- happened during Fashion Week, as you just mentioned, and it was Fashion Week in London, Milan, Paris, New York, and coincidentally, this season the trend is primary colors. It is red reds, it is blue blues, it is green greens. There's not a pastel in sight. It is all bold, bold, bold colors. So every designer has a blue gown and a yellow gown. And they have been showing on Instagram, putting the blue gown and the yellow gown gown together, saying, hashtag, we support the people of Ukraine. And you see, you you start to see, um, I'm not going to name the jewelry company that did it, but they showed canary yellow diamonds and sapphires together, saying, we support the people of Ukraine. And you see Instagrammers, influencers wearing a blue and yellow bikini saying hashtag Ukraine and it began now we all feel helpless and helpless and we want to do what we can to support the people of Ukraine it's a terrible situation and when you feel like I'm showing support like I want to show support for, for for what's happening but 
I remember during black, the height of Black Lives Matters when there was all the protests and in in um and all that stuff, and everyone put a black square on their Instagram. And after a while, black people themselves started saying, stop, stop it, white people. This is performative. It is superficial. You aren't accomplishing anything. It, you, you aren't putting your money where your mouth is. Fenton, I ask you, is it, what do you think about the blue and yellow craze on social media? And how do you show your support without it being performative? I think you show your support by contributing money to a cause that's appropriate, whether it's money or clothing or resources. But funny enough, my dad just passed and, and my sister went and took all his stuff and sent it off to the Ukraine. So, you know, all his clothes and things. So I think that that's what you do. And But I, I think that it uh, is weird, isn't it, that the, the virtue signaling, you don't want to ban people expressing themselves or expressing no. their support. But I suppose the idea is that to really make a difference, you should do something material as opposed to do you castigate the person? Do you do you if somebody if an influencer shows up in a blue and yellow bikini saying I'm for Ukraine, do you say cut it out, bitch, put your money or or do you just let it pass and say understand that they're trying their best? We live in this era of 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 virtual signaling. Kind of social media is that, right? It's like I'm eating the right thing, I'm wearing the right thing, my body looks a certain way, so it makes sense that this is happening. It's I'm a little I I don't know what to. I almost don't feel like posting anything. I feel like anything I'm posting is kind of like in bad taste because of what's going on. You got to live your life while the while there's stuff happening, Um, and you do have to give money. And then I always ask how much. I know that's crazy, but like, how much? How often? Like, I, I, I'm like, well, I mean, a lot of a lot of younger people don't have money to give, and they sort of feel like this is what they're doing. I yeah. know that I have, I, I don't have a huge following, but I feel like it's sort of my duty when there's breaking news to to repost and and just mm-hmm. to share the news and the things that are happening in the images. So I feel like that's what I can contribute because I can't right. be giving lots of money. I think the difficulty is also that we are we're newly born into this performative era. You know, this is the screen age and we've never been in this position before. And and I think we're all finding our way trying to figure out what the rules might be or what the best way to behave or during the time of Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because it, it is the screen age. And, and so it is so much of our lives is on a screen or interacting with a screen one in some way. And I think we're still figuring a lot of that out, but, but for those of you listening and not watching, uh, Fenton is wearing a blue shirt and has yellow wallpaper behind him. <laughs> <laughs> that was not planned. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It, it is because I don't. I, I feel like some people are in, in feeling very pure in their intentions about you know posting these things, but it, sometimes it just comes off as being tone deaf. Mm. Yeah, mm. I like I like wherever you can to to. Uh, look at the intentions and hope for the best. There you go. I love that. Hope for the best. That's good. Um, Number two. Number two. Um, Yes. So after being in France, I went to Spain where they are making Drag Race España. And um, I met. Season two? Season two? Season two. Season two is in the can and it's coming soon to Wild Presents Plus, as of course is Drag Race France. And, but I actually physically met in person Los Javis. 
uh, Javier Ambrosi, Javier Calvo, the two producers of and creators of um, Venino, James. Mm. And oh, yes, of course. Blowing... He just passed away. Venino just passed away yeah, recently. Very yeah. But what I also did, um, it was so lovely to meet them. They are just as wonderful in person. But what I also did is I, they created, wrote and produced the longest running show in Spain, theater show. It's called La Lamada. And it is two girls go to a Christian camp. And um, it's a musical. And one of them basically has a religious awakening and in the form of Whitney Houston songs. And <laughs> it is so clever and so cute. I can understand why it's been, I mean, literally it's been running for 10 years. And I didn't understand, again, I spent most of my trip in Europe not understanding a word. <laughs> it's all in Spanish. And I speak even less Spanish than I speak French, which is practically <laughs> zero anyway. But because of the Whitney Houston songs, God appears and he's into Whitney Houston. And it's <laughs> so genius because it makes this point that religion is should be a fun thing and that your spirituality should be a fun thing. And so this person who isn't really Christian finds her God through this God who loves Whitney Houston. And <laughs> all the people in that you've got sort of old wizened mother superior and the young convent inductee who's actually a lesbian and shouldn't be there, you know, but long story short, everyone gets what they want and it's a happy ending. And these guys are just so, they are so talented. Um, they've been together 10 years. They're a couple. They're beautiful to look at, but they're beautiful people too. And just so creative. And just that, you know, Spanish uh, drag or camp is its own is its own brand. And it's just sort of extra. It's like Baroque architecture. It's just like extra, you know? And I, I, I they're coming to the States. I can't wait for you both to meet them because when they do it's going to be like you know the queen of england coming to visit we're going to roll out the red carpet oh, because they are just so uh, so creative and so funny and warm and vibrant and just more of what we need uh, what we need question what's the name of that series and how do we get to see it it's called La Alameda. it's actually they then went on to direct and produce the movie version which is on netflix and it's called holy camp and you can watch it it's subtitled holy camp um, they've also done uh, Venino, which I think is on uh, HBO Max, HBO and Max. then Sequita Salas, which is a kind of 10%, like you know, Call My Agent, that French series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's about a bottom feeding agent. Um, and so that, they've done several seasons of that. So You love bottom feeders. And as, <laughs> as I just relayed, Madonna called them to uh, fix, fix her movie. And I, I believe, I believe they politely decline wow um presumably but anyway I, I shouldn't you know i didn't read the script i don't know but you know when madonna, madonna. <laughs> <No. Was laughs> madonna she just called you yes yep. on this cat yeah hello it's my madonna yeah, no, 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 no. we're gonna take one more break and when we come back reveal the number one thing this week that made us go wow you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow well, we're back. Um, we've been counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go wow. And we have reached number one. Number one. And we are joined by, it says here, our VP of Wow Presents Plus. No, Steve Sims is our VP 
of WOW Presents Plus. And he is here to tell us all about our number one this week. What is it? Reveal! It is World of Wonders Frockumentary. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Hey! Tell me, what is... A, what in the name of Jiggins is a frockumentary? Well, a frockumentary is the four-episode story of the Frock Destroyers, who were the girl group winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 1, featuring Bag of Chips, Blue Hydrangea, and Davina DeCampo. And essentially what we did was we followed them through 2020 into 2021 during the height of the pandemic since DragCon 2020, which was the last DragCon uh, I'm sorry, DragCon 2020 UK, which was the last DragCon. And then we, you know, after that, the idea, you know, Randy, Fenton, Tom, you guys had the idea of doing an album, following the frocks further into their journey. We started documenting it like we would for most of our shows and projects. And then the world shut down. And we thought it would be fun to kind of just utilize this source of communication and, and video recording, uh, Zooms, video streams and follow their journey and have a couple small camera crews along the way. And that ended up being four episodes of what we're calling Frock Destroyers Frockumentary. Without a spoiler alert, I watched uh, episode four last night and it was so good. Just, just the joy it brought me to see Bagger and Blue and Davina. I mean, what a trio and just the clips of them performing at DragCon literally, you know, days before the world shut down, the frenzied seats. All I could think of was like, who in that audience had COVID? Because you know someone did. You know? <laughs> I, I think about that a lot when we came back from the UK. But it's honestly like I remember being in that moment and standing next to Kelly uh, and just looking down and being like, "This, I mean, this looks like Coachella. Like it just looked right. insane. And to think like, well, now they have to go on tour and they have to do more stuff. And then a month later, we were all at home. I will go out with my night. 1960s ancient comparison, but I thought their performance, the Frog Destroyers performance at DragCon UK was like the Beatles. I, I had not seen such frenzy from the crowd. It blew, I was not there in person. I've just seen the documentation of it and it blows your mind. It's funny. A lot of the raw footage from episode four that Fenton just watched is not to spoil anything, but is their live performance where it ended up in 2021 and going through the raw footage, I mean, people crazy over Baga, like the Beatles. Or it reminds me of when we did the Britney Spears documentary and just her being through Vegas and like crowds of people chasing after her. I, it, it's Bag of Chips. It's so fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, it was a great, it was a really fun project. And, you know, for WoW Presents Plus to be able to have a, a, another WoW doc that's a series and it also different than just you know, work the world or God shave the Queens. I mean, this definitely took a deep dive into something that we all lived through. And we got to see the adventure of these three amazing drag Queens and what they did from everything from home to in this bubble to out in the world when they were able to get released. And Leland and Freddie Scott are recording them from LA. I mean, it's really is it's coast to coast. It's a global sensation, the whole thing. Uh, and, and you guys did a great job of putting it together. Can't wait for the world. And it's nice to see what they were doing during the pandemic because, you know, Blue and Bagger both have been on um, Drag Race UK versus the world, right? So you can watch this series and see what they were getting up to before that. And I think the seeds were sown, don't you think, Tom, for the 
treasonous exploits and hijinks that went on in Drag Race yes. UK versus World. You know? And I have to also, I'm a huge Davina, Davina DeCampo fan, and it's great to see her. I want to see more of her, but it's great to be with her. The three of them together, they really are a group. They really, they really do represent all these different kinds of attitudes and drags, and they're, they're a winning combination. Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you for all that you do. Where presents Plus. There's oh, so many well, great originals and more to come, right? What's coming up? Well, coming up uh, later this year, we have The Return of Un, which will be announced. Date will be announced um, soon. We also have the Lawrence Cheney series called Tarting Around with Lawrence Cheney. And then we have, yes, Tarting Around. And then we have Vangie, 24 Hours of Love, which will be coming very soon, which is the infamous Vangie dating show, which the world is waiting for. Yes. And we have this season two of the podcast coming up. Don't forget. Oh, my God. We do. Night Fever. Oh, my God. Night Fever is coming up, and we have some exciting guests, and I'm I'm trying to get James to just keep doing them all year round, but <laughs> we'll see what we can well, do. The other day, Fenton had said, you know, we're going to do six or eight seasons, and I was like, oh, dear God, we're going to have to renegotiate my contract after that. <laughs> I believe that on WoW Presents, James has paid less than a latte. <laughs> but you get so much more <laughs> but i do want to just tell everybody that they should sign up for wow presents plus at wowpresentsplus.com it is a special is a special channel i mean it's practically free um thank you so much for listening thanks for tuning in thank you steve thank you james thank you tom um same time same place next week until then go out and do something that makes the world go wow, wow. wow.